The characters, they're a very warm, affectionate family. They have all the qualities that we do. You have pet peeves, you have people you like, you don't like. Piggy thinks Gonzo is a creep. Uh, Gonzo loves the, the chickens. Uh, Kermit uh, uh, wants to get the show moving. Piggy wants Kermit. Floyd can't stand the pig. Uh, Janice and Floyd are very tight together, but they hate the, pig, the pig's dog. And Fufu and uh, Fufu gets mad at Fozzie, and Fozzie uh, scared to go on. And the Stout of Waldorf hate Fo not hate Fozzie, but you know, heckle Fozzie. There's all that intermingling all there and just pushing and pulling like it's it's like a funny Eugene O'Neill story right I mean everybody's at each other but in a very funny way and an affectionate way hi ho and welcome once again to a feat of lunatic daring the most sensational inspirational celebrational Muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. My name is Chad. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Jackson. Nick, we got a season finale. We do. Holy crap. What month is it? I don't know anymore. I saw Black Widow today, so it's July. Okay. So it is July, but it does seem... Did we start this last fall? September. We started. We put out our first episode on Jim's birthday last September. Mm -hmm. That way it'll be easy for us to remember our anniversary. When this comes out, it'll be a little later than July. <laughs> Right. Uh, tonight, we're just going to do, it's going to be a little sh a shorter episode. We're just going to kind of do our best of lists like we did for last season. Um, talk, a, look back a little bit on, on uh, season two of The Muppet Show and, uh, you know, just do our little, our little list. We're stealing something from one of my favorite Magic the Gathering podcasts, which is five top fives. We're going to do five top five lists. Five by five. This is a feat of Lunatic Daring. We're a podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. Before we get started, we'd like to ask you to check us out on social media at Lunatic Daring, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, lunaticdaring.com for our bibliography, our watch list, and all of our episodes. All right, Nick, let's let's start talking lists. Let's do it. Don Knotts, Zero Mostel, Milton Burl, Rich Little, Judy Collins, Nancy Walker, Edgar Bergen, Steve Martin, Madeline Kahn, George Burns, Dom DeLuise, Bernadette Peters, Rudolph Nureyev, Elton John, Lou Rawls, Cleo Lane, Julie Andrews, J.P. Morgan, Peter Sellers, Petula Clark, Bob Hope, Teresa Brewer, John Cleese, Cloris Leachman, 15 seconds to curtain, Miss Leachman. First category, and we're, we're going to try to go through these pretty quick. Uh, first category is our top five Muppet Show guest stars. Why don't you start this one at, number, at your number five? I'm actually going to go with Cleo Lane for number five. She came out of the woods. I had no idea who she was. Me neither. She has an amazing voice. She also just played very well with the Muppets. She's like a case study for someone who's probably very big in another country, but just never crossed over to the States. I don't think you'd say that she was knighted, but she was she recognized was by the Queen. Yeah. I don't know what the verb tense for that is. Yeah, I thought she was great. I also knew nothing about her <laughs> uh, going into it. And uh, yeah, I really liked her voice. That was a big part of it. So I really liked her voice and her kind of um, improvisational singing style. My number five, and it could probably be higher, but my number five is Bernadette Peters, episode 212. 
loved the episode. I thought she was funny when she had to be, but I loved her voice. It's got, as we go through the rest of these lists, you're going to find out several of my favorite songs and sketches and stuff are from that episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just really enjoyed her as a guest and as a personality. And like I said, developed a little bit of a crush along the way. I I enjoyed her episode a good deal. I, I don't think I've ever actually seen The Jerk. Keep in mind, I also just edited our Bernadette Peters episode. So it's just, it's fresh in mind. She's real fresh, but uh, no, she's always, she was always, no, she was always on my list. So that's my number five. So my number four is John Cleese. You were supposed to be my host. How can you do this to me? Kermit, I am your guest. This is your guest. You follow that star. Okay. Which, like, his episode was great. He did great on his episode. The parrot sketch was awesome. But the thing that actually pulled it into perspective was doing the bio on him because so much of the way he presents himself in that episode in, in general is kind of insufferable, but seeing the way that he's developed and maintained relationships throughout the course of his life, he was definitely in on the joke. Oh, yeah. But he it was a really solid episode. We'll talk a little bit more about Mr. Cleese in a minute. My number four was Julie Andrews, episode 217. High on a hill was a lonely goat herd. Lady, 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 lady. Loud was the voice of the lonely goat herd. Julie Andrews is this big giant star. Mm -hmm. Her voice and her charisma, everything about her just screams star power. And I thought she was just, she just kills it. You know, she she had worked with the Muppets before. Mm -hmm. Uh, She already had a relationship with them. So she was comfortable and she was not afraid to, well, she was afraid. That was the name of one of the songs. I I remember watching it going like, oh, that's why she's Julie Andrews. Mm -hmm. She's a solid pick for sure. Um, I'll, I'll talk about that one a little bit more in a second. Okay. For for my number three, I actually had George Burns. I love dogs, especially if they can play in my key. Oh, listen, I can play in any key. I'm another Yasha Heifetz. Yasha Heifetz played the violin. Nobody will know the difference, George. Okay, Ralph, in my key, train back home. I guess I'll take the train back home. Hold it, hold it, hold it, Ralph. You're liable to hurt yourself. Play like you're not getting paid. Nice and easy, right. nice and easy it is. Right from the top. Right. Didn't make my list, but is like hovering at number six. There is a list of celebrities that I would just want to hang out and shoot the shit with. Yeah. And he was he existed way off of my radar because well, because he was I, born in the 19th century. <laughs> right. Um, but like seeing him in that episode, just the idea. Like, as much as I hate the smell of cigar smoke, I'd be like, yeah, I can chill here and relax for a minute. That was a good week because that was the same. Well, we'll mm-hmm. talk about we'll talk about her, I'm sure, in a minute. But yeah. um, but that was that was a that was a good episode. He was as someone who's been a little bit more aware of George Burns throughout his life. Um, I still I really enjoyed it, and I remember really liking this episode from when I was a kid too. To wave to Oakland, to eat at Fisherman's Wharf, to visit Sausalito, to go to Finocchio. Took me so long to finish the song. I just missed the train back home. Isn't that a nice? Solid choice. I feel like I might be poaching on you. Okay, so my, well, no, not yet. My number three is John Cleese. Uh-huh. So we were pretty close on that one. Who are you? I belong John Silverstein. <laughs> Deadliest pirate of the seven seas. You can't be a pirate. Of course I'm a parrot. I got a hat, a parrot, and a hook. What else should I be? A management consultant? Okay. 
So you're a pirate. So I'm a pirate. <laughs> Knowing that he worked with uh, with the guys on the script a little bit, just to kind of, you know, maybe cater it to him a little, or even to improve it. I mean, the guy is a professional comedian and writer, you know? It, it, but but yeah, you're right. Just the attitude, the idea that the whole premise of the episode is he doesn't want to be here. And he does such a good job playing that that um, uh, and, and it's just a very funny episode. That's very funny. And and the finale uh, where they're all making him sing is great. It's really great. My number two was actually Julie Andrews. Oh, all right. When you were a tadpole and I was a fish. When the whole world had barely begun. As far back as that? Mm-hmm. With a show like The Muppet Show that has existed in public conscience or public consciousness for decades, right? We we tend to have sort of an aggregate view of what it is. And the Julie Andrews episode in particular is the archetypical or archetypal Muppet Show episode. Mm-hmm. If you if you think about the Muppet Show, if you think about what the Muppet Show represents and how it functions. They aren't really playing with form or doing a lot, but everything down to the Swedish chef getting ready to carve up that cow. <laughs> it's Nobody knows nothing about the cow. <laughs> yeah, It is like one of the Muppet Show episodes that you could look at and be like, this is the show. I'm really stunned about that that was your number two, but because we'll, I'm very curious about your number one now. Because my number two is Zero Mostel. What do the simple folk to help them escape when they're blue the shepherd who is ailing the milkmaid who is glum the cobbler who is wailing while nailing his thumb i love zero he was funny and powerful um he is both fortunately and unfortunately the only posthumous guest star the muppet show ever had if that makes sense I don't know, man. There was just something about his energy and the whole kind of storyline about and his um, complete and utter willingness to make a fool of himself and to be silly. And his um, his spoken word number I was a big fan of. And uh, yeah, I just really liked Zero. He almost made the list. And also another honorable mention would be Cloris Leachman. But I feel like they, they underused her significantly. They did a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I'll also before we get to our number one, which I'm sure is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also wanted to shout out. I think Dom DeLuise was great. Yeah, he was. I know there were some issues with him, but I think Milton Berle actually did a pretty good job. Uh, he, yeah, he was a, the episode cohered. Like it wasn't yes. a bad episode at all. It was a good episode. And I would also like to give a special props to Rudolf Nureyev for having probably the best sense of humor of anybody. Oh, yeah. And, and, and for what is an important episode, um, which is an episode that helped put them up. It's on the map. It got them in the news a little bit more when it turned out that this, you know, world class Russian ballet dancer was going to be on the show. And, uh, you know, it's got some really funny stuff in it. It's got OK. It's got baby. It's cold outside. So that's doesn't age that well. But <laughs> everything else in it, I think, is really great. Uh, so, all right, let's talk about our number one. I wonder who she is. Oh, I'm I'm sure we're going to have to make some big choices here. We're predictable, man, because we did the same thing last time. Last kind season. Of, but the thing is, it was never not going to be Madeline. No, it wasn't. Are you all right? Uh, yeah. <sighs> well, I'm glad. Why? I mean, why? Well, why did you say you were glad? Well, I, I think you're terrific on the show. You do? Yeah. I, I hate to say anything happened to you, especially. You would? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. 
Wow! Look, you're not just kidding around here, are you? Of course I'm not kidding. I think you're terrific. Excuse me, Miss Khan. It's time to get ready for your musical number. Oh, thank you, Scooter. I'll I'll see you later, Gonzo. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Everything about that episode, down to the backstage story and seeing her when she's not playing a character and pre-Tarantino musical number. I keep coming back to that. It sounds weird, but I keep coming back. We, we talked about it on the episode. I keep coming back to that. We got to see her just as a person. And I try to think, well, surely we have before. And it's like, no, she played pretty broad character. She was, I don't know. It felt so different. It felt like a completely different version of her. There's something that I've observed in drama, and I guess particularly in a lot of musicals, where depending on the degree to which you're expected to suspend belief, the actors are not only permitted to wink at the camera or at the fourth wall, but kind of expected to. And sometimes that doesn't age as well. Sometimes you get something sort of like Milton Berle wanting to keep everything super vaudeville. When Madeline did what she did in Mel Brooks pictures or wherever else, you didn't feel it. It felt more seamless, I guess, because you were able to become more effectively immersed because even if she's playing a ridiculous character, she's able to bring a certain kind of pathos to it where you're just sort of like, okay, well, maybe I do run into this person. I had never seen her play just hip 70s chick. And that's yeah. What she, yeah, right. Which is like herself. Right. But I just had never seen her play that. So I thought that was really cool. Listen, it also doesn't hurt the fact that we would both of we would have both killed for her. Yeah. Going in. But I, I don't care. She's awesome. <laughs> and and and, and uh, we could have put money down at the beginning of the season about who would have been our favorite. And listen, it was I almost put zero number one. Zero almost made the list. It was a sort of a back and forth thing. But maybe I just his, his episode wasn't as fresh in my mind. That can do it, too. I mean, it was the second episode of the season. But he, I, I do remember really enjoying his episode. Uh, yeah, I mean, it had to be Madeline. There is not one person listening to this right now that is surprised that we have chosen Madeline Kahn as our favorite guest star of the season. I mean, we were so subtle and stoic when we presented on her the first time. No one could have possibly seen this coming. Definitively, for all of time, best guest star of season two. Oh, yeah. You've probably worked all your life to be perfectly awful. Year after year to be just as bad as possible. And now, now all of your toil and self-sacrifice has paid off. Yes, you are a success. You you, you have set yourself a goal and you have achieved it. Oh, you are to be congratulated. Uh Yeah. You are so awful that it is truly beautiful. In fact, you are the perfect example of beautiful awfulness. Next category is our top five musical numbers and moments. Um, I'll start this time around. My number five is, how could you believe me when I said I love you because you know I've been a liar all my life? That was mine too. That's your number five? That was my number five. But how could you believe me when I said we'd marry when you know I'd rather hang than have a wife? said i'll make you mine but who would know that you would go for that old line how could you believe me when i said i love you when you know i've been a liar nothing but a liar all my doggone cheating life it's amazing (laughs) and again i just edited that edited that episode so i've had it stuck in my head for a week and i don't mind 
seeing Kermit get to go on stage and flex, because with the the watches leading up to just watching the Muppet Show for the podcast, we've seen the early iterations of Kermit all the way back to Sam and Friends, and then like the different Muppet Land fairy tale episodes or pilots, like. Seeing yeah. Kermit get to go back on stage and flex a little bit is always really nice, or almost always really nice. And yeah, and, and it was a great way to to wrap up our Miss Mousy saga. <laughs> and and going back to that, you know, it sounds, you know, yeah, when we, like you said, when we're we're going through watching the show, you pick up on little things, and I'm sure most people didn't don't fixate on the whole Kermit Miss Mousy thing, but we picked up on it as a narrative we liked. There's a pattern there. What about the evenings you were with your mother? I was romping with another honey lamb. To think you swore our love was real. But baby, let us not forget that I'm a heel. How could you believe me when I said I love you when you know I've been a liar? Nothing but a liar. Oh, my doggone no good. Good for nothing All right, since we were both at number five, why don't you give me your number four? My number four was actually Miss Piggy's iteration of The Entertainer. Oh, I just slipped it off. It was my number five, so (laughs) I approve. Now the curtain is going up. The entertainer is taking her bow. Does her dance step and sings her song. Even gets all the audience to sing I think part of the reason that rises so high is it followed Milton Berle's, like, immediately. It's my headcanon at this point. At some point, Milton Berle pissed off Frank Oz, and Frank's like, I'm going to do The Entertainer too, Milton. There's not a thing he can do about it. I'm going to twerk. I'm going to do rocket kicks. I was in agony trying to fit that on my list. I didn't get it on there, but I was in agony because uh, that also stood out for me. And you're right. It works narratively in the episode even. Like it's a UK spot. But if you just look at the episode as a narrative, yeah, he comes out and does it. And then Piggy sneaks out and is like, hey, Rolf, let's do it. Can you play that again? I can do it better. <laughs> you know. And then, yeah, I like your behind the scenes canon that it's a Frank Oz revenge story. Yeah, she knows just what she must do. Knows how to bring down the now my number four because I, I would i would i would re- be remiss not to mention the fact that the uh, muppet show isn't the only thing we watched this season so my number four is River Bottom Nightmare Band from Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. We think what we want. We do anything that we wish. Nightmare Band. 
It was either this or uh, when the river meets the sea, when the river meets the sea, which is probably the proper choice. But Riverbottom Nightmare Band is just a song that has permeated pop culture in such a gentle story. It is this bolt of heavy metal that comes out of nowhere. And as a child was legitimately frightening. I think it's actually got a pretty good riff. And there's something to me about the five guys, about Jim, Jerry, Frank, Richard, and Dave playing this just disgusting band that I really love. So I wanted to make sure I got some Emmett Otter on here. That was your, your number four, yeah? That was my number four. So my number three, because I've got a, a slightly dark sense of humor, I, is the For What It's Worth from uh, episode 221. Barely missed my list. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there telling me I've got to beware. It's time we stop. Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going round. Stop. Children. Everything about it just screamed like, oh, this is a really, really dark sketch. Way to go. And there were a few of those this season. And some of them will come up as I, I move on to my other numbers. But just how quiet it was, right? Like, they're whispering the entire time. No, it's a very haunting performance of a very classic rock song, you know. But it, it, it is very haunting. And it's a number that I remember that I remember watching when I was a kid and being kind of saddened by it. For my number three, I actually picked something that's similar. I put it in the same category as far as um, these kind of like whatnot pop song numbers. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pick Time in a Bottle from episode 207. That's my number two. If I could save time in a bottle, the first thing that I'd like to do Save every day till eternity passes away just to spend them with you. It's great. <laughs> like, it's, it's super depressing, but it's so good. I mean, the song's wonderful. The Jim Croce song is wonderful. Jim's performance is really what makes it. His mm-hmm. performance is great, both vocally and with the puppet. Maybe because I just hit a particularly depressing milestone birthday, it really hit me. I don't know. I've been 40 since I was 15, man. I think sometimes you just feel old. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And we talked about it at the time, like coming off of something like Timepiece, which we both loved, can understand why this would be a, a number that would appeal to Jim Henson. It's, I don't call it, I don't think it's depressing. I just think it's sad. It's maybe, maybe depressing is melancholic. Um, melancholy. It's melancholy. It's sad. It's, it's contemplative. There's also like, I feel like there's a special subcategory for certain Muppet sketches that are just self-contained. And I, that appeals to the part of me that grew up loving things like the storyteller and labyrinth and the dark crystal is just like, I love Jim's work across the board. I do, but also there is something for those small snippets like timepiece where you've got a full concise thing that's presented to you and you you have a full arc to it. Since that was your number two, I'll give you my number two and then we'll do number ones because I'm going to guess your number one. Um, so for my number two, I picked the wishing song from episode 209, the Madeline Khan episode, which was sung by Gonzo. I wish I had a coat of silk, the color of the sky. I wish I had a lady fair as 
as any butterfly. I wish I had a house of stone that looked down on the sea. But most of all, I wish that I was someone else but me. This was the first year where we really got Gonzo, mm-hmm. which was really great. These types of songs are very much in Dave Gold's slash Gonzo's wheelhouse. This song especially, though, it's a um, it follows the same mold as being green, right? Where the first half of the song is a lament and the second half of the song is a realization and a celebration. There's I that's one of my favorite. Uh, it, it didn't make any of my lists, but that is one of my favorite moments from the season. Part of the reason it didn't make any of my lists is I, I didn't want to just keep saying Madeline Kahn. But yeah. Gonzo. Oh, hi, Miss Kahn. Gonzo, I'm very sorry I made you sad. <sighs> you know, I, I just really don't think it would work out if we got married. Yeah, I suppose I am kind of short for you. No! The... The fact that Jim is able to take these people that are feeling negative emotions like jealousy or dejection or things like that and give them a way to sort of work their way back without becoming bitter or mean is it's a very deft touch. And I always really appreciate it when I see it. And if there's anything I can ever do for you. There is one thing. What? Let me finish my song. Oh, no, I got this. I'm working through it. I don't, you know, like I'm working through it. This is my thing and I'm working through it. And the second half is him working through it. And it's just like with being green. It's a lovely song that has that, uh, that type of structure where you can do something like that. Now I don't have a coat of silk, but still I have the sky. Now I don't have a lady, but there goes a butterfly. Now I don't have house of stone but i can see the sea now most of all i know that i am happy to be me do you mind if i guess your number one go for it windmills of your mind yeah (laughs) (laughs) because i started the song i get it No, I, trust me, I feel it too. I feel it too. I'm terribly calm and tranquil. I'm very, very relaxed indeed. On the outside, but on the inside, I'm like a circle in a spiral, like a wheel within a wheel, and everything from beginning on an ever-spinning reel, just like a snowball down a mountain, or a carnival balloon, or like a carousel that's turning, running rings around the moon. So everything from that initial setup with a guy saying that he's very, very calm, it sort of calls back to some of my favorites from season one with you having the increasing tempo as the song goes on and you just see it keep spinning. It's just in a similar way to uh, to Time in a Bottle being a complete arc. This one doesn't have as, as clear of an arc because it's just a straight line saying this is what anxiety feels like. Yeah. But I, I ended up looking up the song like independent, like the original version of the song, and it doesn't work as well as it does in this sketch. Like it's it's a fine song. It just the energy that it's that is brought to it in the sketch seems kind of crucial for someone to be like, oh no, this is just someone who's trying really hard not to freak out. If anyone wants to know what it feels like, can confirm. You are suddenly aware that the autumn leaves are turning to the color of her hair, just like a circle in a spiral, like a wheel within a wheel, never ending, or beginning on a never spinning wheel. This is the damage of one, like a circle that you find, you're in the windmill of your mind. 
outside. I'm very calm. Yeah, I, I knew that was going to be your number one. I, it's definitely in my honorable mentions. But um, I, I think I can guess yours. I don't think you can. Go ahead. Is it just one person? Wow. Nick Jackson from three-point range. Yep, just one person. If just one person believes in you, deep enough and strong enough, believes in you, hard enough and long enough, before you knew it, someone else would think, if he can do it, I can do it. Making it two whole people who believe in you. Deep enough and strong enough believe in you. Here's the funny thing. It wasn't until this afternoon. It was Wishing Song until this afternoon, and I swapped them. There's a lot of reasons why. One, I love Bernadette uh, in the episode. Also, there are outside reasons that we won't, thankfully won't be getting to for quite some time why the song is very powerful to me. But just within the episode, there's, um, I appreciate a great build in a song, a great emotional build. And this song really has that, the the structure of the song where you bring in, you know, a character at a time. And as you bring and, and what's really, lo- what's really smart about the way it's constructed, right, is the song starts quietly. And then as you bring each person in. And if four whole people, why not more and more and more and let all those people believe in you the vocals get stronger therefore the person who you're trying to believe in is also getting stronger Right, and and by the time you get to the end of it, when there's a choir singing your praises, you can't help but feel strong. You can't help but feel like there are people that believe in you when you have all of these voices singing in concert. And so the gradual build of the song I find very emotional. The moment when Kermit steps in to make it two actually gives me chills. Like I just, it's a really emotional moment to me. Any other honorable mentions you wanted to throw out there? Um, I mean, we we touched on them a little bit. Gonzo's sort of putting himself back together and just one person would have been honorable mentions for me. I had uh, Piggy's Entertainer, specifically Piggy's. I had Windmills on Your Mind. Um, uh, the other ones I wanted to mention, though, was uh, The Impossible Dream with John Cleese. Mm-hmm. Love that number. Happy Feet. Um, as a as a filmmaker, I love the editing. I, lo- I can really appreciate a, an, an exceptional work of editing like that. And it's a great filmmaking. When the River Meets the Sea. Like I said, also um, Ain't No Hole in the Washtub. It's also a fantastic song. And there was also You're Just Not in Love, which was the song with Cleo Lane and the Swedish Chef. I am amazed that I, like, I I loved her for her voice, but I didn't actually list any of her songs. Good guess, by the way. I mean, not a good guess. You educated guess, but that was, that, I, I wasn't sure you were going to get that. <laughs> Music is a big part of the Muppet Show, but so, of course, is comedy. So our next top five is our top five comedy sketches, storylines, or jokes. Basically, like, the stuff that's not the music. 
So it can be anything in that variety, but stuff that's not musical. Uh, so my number five was actually the parrot sketch from the John Cleese episode. <laughs> Just like I, I say that without the outside context, because I don't think I've seen that in original Monty Python bit. Or if I have, I was, I don't, I haven't seen it since I, or I would have remembered. Well, listen, now what is it that you want exactly? I'll tell you, Captain. I be master of the ship now. we talk about gonzo developing over the course of the season but link and the swine trek and that entire crew it was never rough, but it's it's definitely a lot stronger by the end of the season. And that sketch was just like note for note, spot on. It was very, very funny and just an extra little bit funny if you're a Python fan. My number five is the Julie Andrews talk spot. Hey, Kermit, yeah. your nephew Robin just fell in a tuba. <laughs> what? He fell in a tuba, but it's okay. Animals getting him out. <laughs> Robin, are you all right? Yeah, it's fun. If you remember, it's just Kermit and Julie having a nice little conversation when Scooter runs in to inform him that Robin is stuck in a tuba. But don't worry, Animal's going to get him out. And you hear uh, you hear the bleat of a tuba. And Robin goes flying across the screen. And then what proceeds from there is a cartoonish sequence of puppets ping-ponging back and forth, including, was it the Flying Zucchini Brothers? Uh-huh. And Robin keeps going back and forth. It was my number three because it, it seemed like an improvement. Oh, it on d- the library. was it? Yeah, it was. It's, okay. it's an improvement on the library sketch from the end of season one, where you just have like the, the coordination of all these different things going on. Oh, uh, nothing. I was just wondering what you guys did for entertainment around here. Oh, nothing much. My number four was a split, and they're both from the same episode, so I just left them on the line. Sure. But we've got uh, Dom DeLuise visiting Coosbane, and then we've yeah. got the Dom DeLuise infomercial of yeah. him like getting in touch with his inner Sarah McLaughlin and trying to get you to adopt these monsters. Hello. Hello and welcome. As you know, Shepherd's Institute of Animal Protection has spent the last 25 years protecting helpless, innocent animals just like the ones that you see right here. We're now in the midst of our annual fundraising drive. Time for that drive again. Excuse me, this lovely creature has to be fed occasionally, otherwise he gets very, very ill. Here you go. Here you go. Here have a nice little snack. What a dog. All better, all better. By the way, Shepherd's Institute has only reached its halfway mark in this year's fundraising effort. One moment, please. He commits so hard to both of them. He does. As they keep escalating the infomercial one, it he just he he leans in harder, and then with the the Kuzbane sketch, he sells every interaction without people really interacting with him that much. As he plays whack, he makes whack a mole compelling. Like it's just <laughs> right, right. It's a great. If you ever bit. played whack a mole? It is not compelling. You want more give when you actually connect with the moles, and you don't get it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't feel right. Those are both fantastic numbers. My favorite moment being, I think, uh, when he picks up the the shovel full of 
peanuts and chunks it at Mean Mama from like across the <laughs> stage and makes a pretty good shot into Mean Mama's like waiting maw. But like it's a it's a it's a little athleticism there from Mr. DeLuise from Dominic DeLuise. My number four is the fears of zero. There are other fears. Fears of snakes, fears of cats, fears of matrices and rats, and irrational black terror that someday I may get fat. Fear of elevators falling, and the taxman someday calling, and the accidental warming of myself. Up inside a clammy, dank, old, dingy cellar where the spiders weave around my tummy. This, is, of course, is Zero Mostel's spoken word kind of tribute to Edgar Allan Poe. In a way, it feels very much like the Raven. I just love the way I just loved him so much as a personality. And I think is a very cleverly written bit. I think he performs it just to within an inch of its life. Um, just really sinks his teeth into it. I wanted to bring it up because it's like it's kind of halfway between a musical number and a comedy sketch because it's very tightly scripted. It's a poem. So it's not exactly a song, but it's not exactly a sketch. It's not it's not a scene and it's not a song. So I don't know what it is, but uh, it's a soliloquy. I guess this will lead into something that I'll discuss when we get down to characters. But just the way that Zero as a guest was leading into that sketch, he, he tried to out Muppet the Muppets a little bit. Well, Sam thought he was going to be classy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sam thought he was going to be classy. My number three already, kind of. But what was yours? Okay, uh, so my number three will be very quick then. My number three is nudity in the world today. <laughs> That's a good one. Did you know that underneath their clothing, the entire population of the world is walking around completely naked? Is that disgusting? And it's not just people, although goodness knows that's bad enough. I'll save it so we can talk more about Sam later. He's going to come up later on another mm-hmm. list. So we'll talk about Sam. But one of my favorite, pro- my favorite Sam moment of the year, one of the most classic Sam the Eagle moments, nudity in the world today. My number two is uh, animal needing a hobby. <laughs> like that, just that entire line of them progressively giving animal new hobbies and him right. just excelling at them. Like he went full Gomez Adams. He's like, I can't fail at anything. And then he just has to make peace with failing at failing. Yeah. <laughs> he bowls overhand. Everything about it was just great. Oh yeah. He bowls overhand was great. Yes. Oh, oh, there was that amazing shot where yeah, whoever chucked that one ball nail scooter. I think it was scooter <laughs> just like square in the chest when he's on the top balcony, like on the top right. Like it was an impressive shot. I remember that. My number two is pig takeover. Mm-hmm is the pigs taking over the show in episode 224. I love Kermit the pig and Fozzie the pig. I love the format bustingness of it, of having our lead characters locked in the boiler room, which actually, when you say it out loud, is kind of dark. Gonzo, I'm sorry, I thought you were a pig. <laughs> Terrific! Terrific! First he clobbers me, then he insults me. Hey, uh, Gonzo, what's happening with the show? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's going great. They got this new MC, and the audience mm. loves him. Kermit the pig. All right, so we're on number one for the the top comedy sketches of the season, right? Yes, you're number one. Can you guess mine? Can I guess yours? Uh, Is it the one Madeline Kahn in the park? No, although that is a good guess. Okay. That would be an honorable mention. It's actually the the Muppet Labs teleporter incident as they continuously just (laughs) drive Kermit completely insane. The sliders episode? (laughs) Yeah, basically, where they... uh, (laughs) 
Kermit's just talking to himself a lot and Bunsen. Oh, that's right. It makes, it makes Kermit think he's talking to himself. That's right. Or everyone, everyone, it makes everyone think Kermit's talking to himself. And Bunsen is completely unapologetic because he's a sociopath. <laughs> I'm beginning to think he's a serial killer. So that's what's been happening around here. You have been zapping people in and out of my theater. Please, Mr. Kermit, I'm in the very midst of an important demonstration. Oh, yeah? Well, listen, I'm in the midst of a nervous breakdown. You cannot go zapping people around. My number one is a is a heavyweight bout. Want to take a guess? It's a heavyweight match. Uh... Milton Berle versus Statler in Moldorf. Oh, right. Um, that's an interesting one. I tell everyone to go listen to it right now. And by that, I mean I'm going to play it right now. <laughs> and it is pound for pound, just exceptionally funny comedy writing. Uh, just a minute, please. I have been a successful comedian half of my life. How come we got this half? <laughs> <laughs> Look, did you come in here to be entertained or not? That's right. What's right? We came in here to be entertained, and we're not. <laughs> oh, yeah? I'd like to see you come down here and be funny. You first! <laughs> <laughs> the audience. <laughs> Don't pay any attention to him, folks. He's the ninth child of a family of eight. <laughs> Let me tell this story. Hey, Burl! Oh, yes, what is it? What is it? You know what you're doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? You're standing too close to the audience. I have seen it a hundred times over 40 years, <laughs> and I still... Love it. Will you take it easy? Do you think I'm doing this for fun? Not so far. I've been... <laughs> oh, I see. I, you think you can do better? I couldn't do worse. I've been... All right. Okay. I dare you both to come down here and entertain. We should. Oh, yeah? Do you sing? No. Do you dance? No. Can you get laughs? No. Then what would you do? Just what you're doing. <laughs> Honorable mentions real fast in this category, if you have any. I don't know. I wanted to mention Swine Lake with Rudolf Nureyev. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Okay. But it's also, I mean, it's my, it's like one of the favorites of my girls. Link's Massage. That was, with, a, that was a great bit. With, with Peter uh, Sellers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Happy Girl Meets a Monster with Madeline Kahn. The runner, the, the fact that it was Julie Andrews' cow made me laugh really hard. I don't know why. <laughs> the whole runner the, with Julie's the cow. Bit with the chef marking the cow up. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. To get like yeah. we have to get rid of it. Well, we gave it to the chef, which honestly is not the worst solution to that problem. I also really liked uh everyone dressing up like Elton John. Thought that was cute. I do love the audition episode with Steve Martin, just the whole kind of the 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 high concept of it. And I want to go all the way back to the beginning of the season and talk about Fozzie Shades. I really like Fozzie Shades too. Um the Elton John episode in particular, we we haven't really mentioned it much, but it was a very strong episode. It was on the periphery of like all of my lists. <laughs> it's really uh, so. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's good to mention because it was like I wanted him to be on all these lists. He just didn't make it. Scooter, I told I told you that Elton wouldn't like that song. That song is a tasteless. It's a that song has no melody. That isn't isn't that the worst song you've ever heard, Elton? Well, I didn't think so when I wrote it. The next category is a little vague, but we're going to call it our top five WTF moments from the season. The, our top five. The, the top five things from our from this season that made us uh, either confused or angry or disappointed or frustrated, whatever. You might notice a recurring theme with mine. <laughs> okay, so uh, what's your... I'll start this time. My number five is that bizarre fireside Christmas but not Christmas sing-along with J.P. Gross and all the Muppets sitting by a fire in, the epi in episode 221. Way out of the left field. Way out of the left field. 
What was that? What was that supposed to be? How was that supposed to make me feel? Why did JP not sound like JP? Why would they be hanging out with JP in a, in a log cabin? None of it made sense. I get it was a UK spot, but it none of it made sense. There's nothing else in the entire show that feels that way. What's your number five? So the bird sketch from episode 206, where uh, I don't (laughs) know who thought it was a good idea to put the humanoid Muppet in there, where you see him on the couch making very uncomfortable eye contact because like Nicolas Cage in City of Angels, he doesn't blink. Who makes you more uncomfortable, him or the giant bird? The guy or the bird? The guy. Absolutely the guy. Terrifying. That valley is a little too uncanny. I I don't. uh. Actually, my number four is somewhat similar. It's Black Rooster. And the giant chicken, but mostly black rooster. Was that um, the, the sketch? sketch? Yeah, uh, because along with that and the giant chicken, which I agree with you in that sketch, the guy is the the, the super creepy part, but the chicken ain't much better. Hmm. But between the giant chicken and the black rooster, we had these two nightmare inducing fowl that showed up this season. But more than anything, black rooster, it's going to be on a couple more episodes. But I know we drive into the ground, but it's a f***ing Skeksis. Like it is. It just acts like one. It looks like one. It talks like one. It sounds like one. It's insane. We're still, we're still what, five, six years out from the movie, but it's a Skeksis in the Muppet show. It's very scary. Those Muppets better be holding on to their essences. My number four is actually Kermit the pig. So there have been a lot of jokes <laughs> over the years about what the child of Kermit Miss Piggy would look like. And I didn't realize that it had been answered ahead of time, but there's something so uncomfortable about seeing him there with Kermit's voice. It's not the sort of like patronymic thing where it's like, oh, you're someone I'm fond of. And this is like Robin being Kermit's kid is just like, oh, that's adorable. But this feels wrong, just wrong somehow. And I don't know why. Yeah, <laughs> it's I said, I love that episode and I love that runner. I, lo- I love that story. But he is a very disconcerting puppet to look at. He was a very unsettling puppet. My number three is the use of live animals. That was mine, too. Specifically, the puppy and the piglet. Mm-hmm. That was mine, too. The uh, drowsy animals. Yeah, yeah, it just feels like they're just tranked, and uh, that's not very cool. And there's also a weird, I didn't mind the cow as much for some reason. First of all, cows always act like they're tranked. Well, there's that, but also the way that it was implemented, it's, um, it's sort of like the difference between the person that has dogs in their house that run around and do things and the person that like constantly has their dog dressed up in different outfits the dog doesn't look happy to be in but they have like that death grip on them so you're like the cow was like at least the story with the cow was what the hell is this cow doing here Mm -hmm. so that at least made sense and and it came with a human which would make sense that a human would come with a real cow but these numbers of just kermit with the with the or um with rolf with the puppy and link with the piglet just were um on uh, were just not i don't even know if they're disturbing they just i just didn't like them yeah i wasn't comfortable with them i wasn't comfortable watching them it felt weird my number two and i will you know i love jim henson i mean i wouldn't be doing this if i didn't i will never forgive that man for that fucking gingerbread man number that's my number one that's your number one okay all right <laughs> so my number two is sweet gingerbread man so that is straight uh... why jim why why <laughs> First off, it's just terrifying. Secondly, I'm sure those outfits smelled awful. Thirdly, everything about that color palette reminded me of the uh, the Robin Williams LL Cool J toys movie from the early 90s. Ooh, the Barry Levinson movie. Ooh, that movie's bad. It scared the hell out of me as a kid, though. Like, it, it came out around the same time as uh, Puppet Master and Demonic Toys, both of which I had been forced to watch as a small child. Those are not similar films. Puppet Master and Demonic Toys? No, but toys. <laughs> well, toys... But this... Like you still have oh, the toys is horrifying. I'll give you that. Yeah, 
it, everything about it down to, I think, was uh, Joan Cusack was an android of some sort, wasn't she? It was just a weird movie. Jo- Joan Cusack, who was playing his sister, was a robot. And LL Cool J might have had that as his breakout role. Was that his first? That was his breakout role. Oh, does oh, wow. that mean he, he's good in it? He's probably the best thing in it. Does that mean Jimmy Fox is in that movie, too? He's got a little uh, small role. Does that mean that Robin Williams, as he's grown up, has always had a robot sister that was Joan Cusack's age? Or did they build him a new one every year until they were adults? I think that's one of those questions that goes into the box with the Benjamin Button question. We just we let it sit. I'm never going to get that answer, am I? Probably not. Fresh out of the pan, sweet gingerbread man. My number two was Swine Lake. Okay. All right. Because the uncanny, like that uncanny valley struck again. And I just, I saw. It's a, it's a pig's humans, rough. Yeah. Yeah. The, like it, it was, it was a great bit. Nureyev is amazing, but also, ah. My girls like it because they just want to see him throwing her around and stuff. They just think it's funny. They like ballet. They like Miss Piggy. Why not like a giant Miss Piggy doing ballet? That's how it works for my daughters. This isn't going to surprise anyone, but my number one is episode 222 with Teresa Brewer. Mm-hmm. The Piggy losing weight episode. Just go back two episodes and listen to it. I don't have much to say about it. There's a way to do that story that is not cruel. There's a way to do that story that is not demeaning. There is a way to do that story that actually where all the characters are sympathetic, where the characters are wrong, where the characters learn lessons. That episode does none of those things. It's a complete and utter failure. And it's uh, it's an episode of The Muppet Show that I will not be showing my children. What is red and woolly and five feet long? Oh, uh, I don't know, Floyd. What is red and woolly and five feet long? A mitten for Gonzo the Great. (laughs) (laughs) Top five characters. Now, we had our top three characters last year. I want to see how these have evolved a little bit. So what was your number five character of the season? And by that, I mean, like, not just like, who do you want on a T-shirt or whatever, but what character stories have you enjoyed the most for this season? Which character's development are you enjoying the most? Who do you just like smile the most when they come on screen? You know what I mean? My number five was actually Link. Like I, I was always familiar with Muppets in Space as a concept, but I don't, you don't see him. I would say he's like a C-list Muppet where people are aware that he exists, but you're not going to see him promoted. My list says otherwise, sir. In terms of like recognition (laughs) outside of Muppet circles, he's, I agree. He's not as well recognized, but no, seeing him outside of the pigs in space sketches is always interesting. Uh, my number five, I'm going to guess it's maybe a little higher in yours is Sam the Eagle. Yeah, he's my number two. That, that's funny because Link is my number two. Um, <laughs> now that he's no longer using Wayne and Wanda to try to attain classiness, he has kind of hit this new level of insanity and new level of, I mean, he doesn't know anything. He's, uh, I'll, I'll wait till, I'll, I'll let you talk about him because you're higher <laughs> on him. But uh, I loved, absolutely love Sam this year and, and. And I think it's I think I like him more because I feel sorry for him because we, as we all know, he should probably be probably be in a home. Yeah, my number four is actually Animal. We've been seeing more of him this year, a little bit more of him. Um, we already talked about him picking up new hobbies, but just anytime I see Animal on screen, it's a joy. Like he's just comfortably at my number four spot. Yeah, he's always going to be on your list. My number four, and he wasn't on my list last time. Actually, he was the top of my disappointment list last time. So coming in at number four is the great Gonzo. Gonzo is not 100% there yet, but he is pretty close. First season Gonzo was kind of depressing and kind of sad. Second season Gonzo was funny and sweet and still insane and still disgusting and is everything that he's supposed to be. This is Gonzo as he was meant to be. 
his storylines haven't quite got there yet. He had some great stuff with Madeline Kahn. He had some, you know, he's had the uh, great stuff with the, you know, the, the chicken auditions and stuff, but he's going to get a, even more prominent. And I kind of see my guess is he's just going to kind of creep up the list as the seasons go on. I'm, I'm glad to say I was able to put the great Gonzo on the list this time. And I couldn't last time. I couldn't, it, he didn't, he didn't deserve it. My number three has got to be Beaker. Or <laughs> Beaker. All right. Or sweet Beaker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, poor Beaker. And I love the thing that I love about this is there is no initial stage of Beaker trusting Dr. Bunce and Honeydew. There's always going to be that bit of trepidation. And it's not even necessarily a generalized anxiety. I think Beaker has got a good amount of PTSD and anxiety in general. But anytime Dr. Honeydew is on stage, Beaker knows. He just knows. (laughs) Poor Beaker. He didn't make my list because like, I feel like too bad for him to like say he's my favorite. I'm like, dude, I'd rather you not be there. I'm so sad for you. It's fair. My number three. All right. I'm going Miss Piggy. She was an honorable mention for me this year, but yeah, she's amazing. Much like Gonzo has kind of come into her own. They finally found the groove with the character. You're also going to notice that three out of the five people on my list are operated by Frank Oz. I don't believe that's a coincidence. From the entertainer number where he really threw himself into it, the music hall numbers, all her banter backstage. You know, what's interesting about her to me this season is she is manipulative. She is ambitious, right? She wants to get on stage. She wants to she wants to be a star. She wants to be famous. She does want the frog, although how much of that is love and how much of that is ambition, we don't know. But she yes, she is all those things. But you know what she also is? Terribly bad at doing all of them. She's not a good manipulator. She's not a good diva. She's very done a very poor job of getting the frog to fall in love with her. <laughs> like she's not good at it. So it's almost she's almost very despite when her some of her actions and attitudes, you're like, oh, that's not a very cool thing to do. She's so harmless <laughs> at the end of the day. I, I don't know if I would call her harmless. Well, OK, she's harmless is not the word I would use because most of those stories end up with you getting chopped. I actually don't think she chops when she's angry. I think she chops when she's sad but that's between her and her therapist. I think some people with anger management issues find it easier to be angry than to be sad. I, d- I don't know if that, yeah. that gets her out of trouble, but. But I love that she gets into trouble. I love that she's a hothead. I also love that she is sweet <laughs> and she is smart and she can sing and she is talented and she is all these things. She's just also all of those other awful things too. I just think she's bad at doing the awful things, which somehow makes her more endearing to me. Your your number two is Sam the Eagle. Tell me about Sam. I guess the archetype of, would you call Sam quixotic or chaotic? Um, Like the Don, he would be the Don Quixote of the Muppet cast, if not Gonzo. But like. He's definitely, he's definitely tilting at windmills. Yes. He's he's tilting at something. But he's like a, there's a part of me that's fascinated and wants to know what his core wound is. He he consistently comes in assuming that a guest is supposed to be very classy, having no idea about like especially on the Nuriev episode where he just kicks Rudolph out. He's like, "We are waiting for Mister Nuriev. I'll handle this. Get out of here, you freak! You hit me, you weirdo! Get out! Move, move! Get a haircut! Who do these punk kids think they are? That, that one thinks he's Rudolph Nuriev." That patent lack of self-awareness is something that's just really compelling in a comedic character, and he plays it very, very well. He's like, yeah, I guess he's equal parts. I haven't seen it, so I probably shouldn't say this, but given some of the screenshots that I've seen from it, I feel like he's equal parts uh, Don Quixote and Doctor Strangelove, and it's a weird combination. (laughs) He's um, 
the moment that sums up Sam to me in this season is when he goes out and Kermit introduces Nureyev and says he's one of the world's most famous ballet stars. And Sam's like, you sure he's not opera? And he's like, no, he's a ballet star. And he goes, hmm, culture is culture. <laughs> that, that to me sums up Sam. It's culture for the sake of culture. It's purity. It's, it's, it's decency for the sake of decency. It's, it's freedom for the sake of freedom. He's a very American bald eagle. Yeah, you, you might even call him a hawk. We got to have freedom. We got to have decency. We got to have dignity. Nobody should be naked. And really, he got on my list just for nudity in the world today, but he had a lot of other great moments. Mm-hmm. My number two, as we talked about earlier, is Link Hogthrob. I was waiting for Link to show up. This is one of my favorite Jim Henson characters. I love Jim Henson. I love the unlikable Jim Henson characters. Everyone loves a Kermit. Everyone loves a Rolf. But I love the voices that come out of Jim's mouth that are just like the worst imaginable. I like his salesman and his lawyers and things like that. Uh, and and the newscaster, you know, that just aren't sweet, that are are awful people. Just not not awful people, but that, that aren't sweet. And uh, Link is the Link is awful. He is quite literally a chauvinist pig. But there's just something he 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 wears his shirts like Teddy Pendergrass. As we saw in one episode. <laughs> oh, that is a comparison. I'm just saying. We can get that cover. We can get that 70s cover of Link doing like the, the lean to the side, letting you know that the album is just going to be like pure sex. Just 45 minutes of slow jams. Leaning on a caddy with his thing down to his navel. Oh, yeah. So uh, I just love Link Hawkdog. I'm glad he's here. I'm glad we're going to see more of him. Can't wait till he's uh, Fozzie's boss on Patrol Bear when they when they do that. Um, it, it, he's going to have big parts in a lot of different things. He's not just the captain of the swine trek. It's guessing time before we All start. Right. I'm going to guess your number one. You're going to guess mine. Okay. The Muppet Newsman. No, he's an honorable Ooh. mention. Oh, okay. But All right. He, All right. What do you think I, mine is? I did think love mine? him. What do you think mine is? Uh, let's see. I want to say Fozzie, but I feel like we haven't seen as much of him in some of the later episodes. Bingo. Oh, I was right. Yep, you were. Go ahead. Tell me who was your number one. My number one was actually Gonzo. Um, And part of that was due to seeing where Gonzo had come from and seeing the progression and seeing him like just, I just want Gonzo to know that I'm proud of him with an additional caveat (laughs) that I'm not going to marry him. Yeah. You got to make sure he knows that ahead of time. (laughs) Right. But like, despite how likely abused and neglected he's been he was able to self-regulate and he's still able like gonzo's always been a muppet of focus what that focus is on is a variable thing and probably not something that's going to be immediately accessible to a wide audience but everything down to him going full shawshank with a spoon in record time gonzo's a very impressive muppet and i don't think he gets enough credit in these early seasons for being as amazing as he is uh, I feel slightly ashamed being that, you know, he, he is one of my heroes. So um, Dave goals too, but more Gonzo. <laughs> so I do feel ashamed that he's not my number one. And you're absolutely correct. He had a very good year. It's a brand. I mean, it's not even fair to compare him from season one and him from season two. They're just different characters. They're just, you know, there's, there's a little, there's some things in common, but they're really just different. They're just different characters. And he's so much brighter, poppier and sweeter and more fun now. But also, uh, like you said, still very determined, <laughs> still, you know, still, I, I don't know, but, but you're right. He's a great character. Um, 
Yeah, I went with Fozzie at number one again. Now, I would not have expected this. This is two seasons in a row. If you would have asked me beforehand, I would have said, sure, I love Fozzie the Bear, but my favorite Muppet? No way. Well, I don't know, man, from 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 the episode where he scheduled he's scheduling the show, you know, the the where he gets his his uh, official shades. And there's the one where Kermit uh, calls out sick and Fozzie's got to run things. That was a great one. Uh, his mom showing up in the balcony and him like kept tr- keep trying to get on stage so his mom could see him. He had so many great interactions with guests. I just find him to be the exact right level. I know, but but to me, the moment that sums up Fozzie for the year is during the Steve Martin episode. They <laughs> all they audition a bear. They audition a new comedian, right? Mm-hmm. And Fozzie yanks him from the stage. He's like, no way. And Kermit's like, I don't know, Fozzie, maybe we should look at people, see how they do how they do things differently. And then Lenny the Lizard comes out and does an MC thing. And Kermit's like, next. And Fozzie looks at him and goes, It was really interesting to see how another MC works. <laughs> yeah, you really must feel enriched, Kermit. Will you get out of here, Fozzie? <laughs> he totally just like, he became a lot. I don't know. All of a sudden, he's a little bit smarter. He's a little bit more clever. I like him when he's a little more clever and a little smarter. I want to hug him. But I also want to hang out with him because <laughs> um, he's very—he looks like he's very soft. He's also just—and and I, I keep reiterating—but my number one, my number three, and my number five are all performed by Mr. Frank Oz, best puppeteer of his age, maybe of all time. Yeah, he's—he's he's definitely up there. What what I'm really saying with my list is, I think the MVP is Frank Oz. That's yeah, that's a fair statement. He got a little less screen time this year because Piggy got more, and that's just the math of the Muppets. If Piggy's doing a bunch of scenes. Fozzie's not there because Frank's not there because Frank's doing piggy. That's just Muppet math. Those are our five top fives, but we do have one final, our best in show, our best episode of the year. This was exceptionally difficult. It was. Each of us just picking one. And if you want to kvetch a little bit and explain your thought process, that's completely okay, too. I wanted to be careful not to just make a knee-jerk decision and to actually weigh a couple of different episodes because they're it's stronger than season one, as it should be, because they've learned a lot and they've grown in the process. I was split between two, really, but I, I have to go with Madeline, and not just because of the crush, but just the episode works. The the runner-up would have been Julie Andrews just because that was such a good, cohesive, coherent Muppet Show episode. This is what the Muppet Show is. The Madeline episode excelled. It just, it did. I had two or three that were duking it out. One was Madeline Kahn, 209. One was Bernadette Peters, episode 212. And one was Cloris Leachman, episode 224. It's tough. Like, I'm still trying to decide. Like, Bernadette Peters had two of my favorite musical numbers of the year in one episode. And I really, 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 and and just a little uh, one step, two step was also a really fun number. It does have a black spot on it, though. It's got this, it's got a musical number called the Sheik of Araby, yeah. which not only had some, when we talked about it, you know, it has some uh, ethnic stereotyping in it, but I list, but, but when I was cutting the episode, there's a line, I didn't, I wasn't paying attention to the song really. When I was cutting the episode, there's a line where the Sheik says at night, I will come into your bed. I'm going to creep into your room and get in bed with you at night when you're asleep. Oh, like that Roy Orbison song. I get it. So that's a little bit of a black spot in that episode to me because you pick Madeline Kahn. I'm going to go ahead and pick episode 224 with Cloris Leachman, just to, for variety's sake. The reason being Pig Takeover. <laughs> it's it's a great premise and a great concept episode. I actually, it's probably not very charitable and I don't, maybe it doesn't work, but I kind of hoped, or I kind of wish that they, they'd made that the Bob Hope episode. Right. 
Because right. I, I feel like he didn't actually contribute all that much. And Cloris seemed like she was so happy to be there on the Muppet Show. I'm like, but she's underused. I, I think what I liked about it, and, and you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the guest stars, so don't get me wrong. But what I liked about that one is that one was just all that was just Muppety. Mm-hmm. It was just Muppets doing Muppet stuff. You know, it, it was Cloris Leachman. Yes, she was there, but she wasn't even until the very end. She wasn't involved with the coup. She didn't have anything to do with anything. All the stuff was in the there. It almost felt like what we're going to hit when we get in the Muppet movies. It was just Muppets having adventures on their own, like getting kidnapped while they were taking over the show. And there's there's the great, great moment. when Piggy comes in and is like, I'm here. I'm here. I will not leave you. And they're like pigs in space. She's like, I got to go. <laughs> I don't know. It's really good. And um, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and go with that one because I really love the premise of it. I really love the execution of the premise. I think it was the funniest episode of the year. I cannot fault you at all for Madeline Kahn. It is an amazing episode. On my list, I also have number 202 with Zero Mostel, um, 213 with Nureyev. Uh, I know the baby is cold outside. It's controversial to people. But besides that, I think that's a great episode. I really liked 218 with JP Morgan. She was fun. I, I liked her. I liked the, she was the first one that had the gimmick of kind, kind of like Cleese would later in the season. She had the gimmick of like, Hey, uh, I don't want to be here. <laughs> you know that. Um, and then I also have two or three Milton Burl, uh, mostly just for that one scene, but there's a couple other good things in there. Like the piggy entertainer, the, um, John Cleese episode as well. Uh, is another one I wanted to mention that I thought was very funny. And, we forgot to do honorable mentions and characters. I did want to say I wanted to give a shout out to Baskerville the Hound just for sticking it out. Oh, yeah. Just for sticking it out, man. Good for you. Every once in a while pops up and gets to sing a little bit. Good for you, Baskerville. You know, he saw his buddy get super famous after they like, you know, their commercials. His buddy goes into super famous and he kind of gets just good for him. You know. All right. So that's our definitive for the record books as the world's greatest experts in the Muppets, top five, top fives for Muppet Show season two. Everyone can quit. All the podcasts can stop. Everyone can stop writing. We have officially solved it and answered your questions. We had we had more overlap this time. Yeah, it, it was really funny to see how many listings had swapped spots. I, I think we've kind of grown to um, oddly watching together has made us kind of grow to appreciate some of the same things because we're looking for the same things. I think because there were some of ours that matched up exactly. And then we, we, we had overlap on all of our lists. Mm-hmm. The Muppet show season two wrapped production on December 9th, 1977. It was perhaps the most seen program in the world airing in 106 countries with an estimated audience of 235 million viewers, the very definition of a worldwide phenomenon. Jim had finally gotten his new Muppet show, and he was having an absolute blast making it, and the audience, of course, was loving it everywhere. The crown was maybe weighing a little heavy on his head, but he truly enjoyed making the show. It was all he had hoped for. And he was proud of Frank, Richard, Dave, and the two Jerrys for what they had accomplished and how far they had come. Especially Frank, who had taken a runty background puppet and turned her into an international icon, all through the force of his own talent and charisma. Oz had become the star of The Muppet Show, and it didn't surprise Jim one bit, even though some of the other performers may have at times resented the somewhat lopsided acclaim. Jim also liked, somewhat sheepishly, 
being famous. He started dressing in suits. He ate at fancy restaurants, hobnobbed with the social elite. He took his family on lavish vacations and started, like so many genius millionaires before and after him, buying and investing in art. And of course, he was never without his obscenely pricey sports cars. Although to be fair, several of those were gifts. He was enjoying being Jim Henson and probably realized that he could keep making the Muppet Show forever. All he had to do was sit still, make the show, and reap the benefits. The fame, the money, the awards, the adulation. It could have become a television institution like The Simpsons would years later. And why wouldn't you want to make the Muppet Show forever? It's the greatest job in the world. All he had to do was sit still. But it wasn't like Jim Henson to sit still. He had no plans to make The Muppet Show forever, but he hadn't told anybody that yet. He had conquered television, finally, but admitted he was disappointed it had taken so long. Perhaps he had misjudged the hurdle of getting adults to watch a puppet show, or didn't realize how hard it would be to get a producer to mutter a costly yes. Maybe he hadn't been ready for the masses, or maybe the masses hadn't been ready for him. But now, The Muppet Show was the most beloved show on Earth. So naturally, Jim's focus drifted away from television, and he set his sights on making movies. Two movies, in fact. One that would be very familiar to audiences, as close to a slam dunk as one could get, Jim hoped. The other was something completely different, born of another man's imagination, a story in a world to enchant and challenge audiences, but would inevitably, devastatingly, alienate and bore them. The Muppet Show wasn't enough for Jim Henson. He needed to go bigger. He needed to keep believing. He needed to keep pretending. And he would do just what he set out to do. Next time, you make me feel like dancing. We will be back for Muppet Show Season 3. Great guests, more, more fantastic episodes. But we will, uh, so we'll be, we'll be back in, I'm going to guess about a month. Till then, I am Chad. I am Nick. And uh, thank you for listening to our Season 2. A Feed of Lunatic Daring is written and produced by Chad J. Shonk and hosted by Chad J. Shonk and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Podolitz. And a proud production of Antithesis Audio.